Welcome to the Church 214 podcast. We're glad that you've joined us today. We hope that you enjoy today's message. And if you'd like to find out more about our church, please visit our website at church214.org. Hey, good morning, everybody. So how is everybody doing? As we were worshiping, I got this other thought of a question I want to ask you. Um, what's God working on in your life? How is he changing you, working with you? What's he putting you through to teach you? Because I want to come up and talk about us and this sermon series that we're in, but really I want to talk about God. So um, as we get started, I just have to share this with you, and maybe my thought process will catch it and with you here. This series has impacted me. It's changed me in a way that, and I hope it's impacted you. This message is, is the work of the Holy Spirit. And I can say that because in addition to the Bible and my normal research, the content has been coming from many sources. And I, write, I wrote this all out so I could share it with you. I, got, I get to share with Sherry, my wife, and Michaela, my daughter. The boys and I, we don't talk. No, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. Um, but there's various podcasts and readings with, I mean, in this message I've touched on A.W. Tozer, Charles Spurgeon, Warren Wiersbe, Henry Morris, and a couple more that I haven't even talked about yet, I'm, I won't mention. Honestly, and this isn't even the most extraordinary part, because I get all these gifts from the Holy Spirit, but it's been the timing that the process comes to me. I mean, I've still got to work. Still got a family life, but God's speaking the whole time. Sorry. I'm blessed to have Sherry to talk with and to think through these messages, but this week's presented a challenge because she was directed by the Holy Spirit to not speak this week. It's a fast, but, it <laughs> but God's provided for us. Now, I'm also the beneficiary of having daughter, uh, Michaela, as a daughter that loves to debate and research as much as I do. So we get to bounce ideas off each other. And, but as I prepared this message, it continually over the last few weeks, God's led me all over the Bible to provi provide for it. Also to these other teachers that I've, met, I've mentioned. But then, if you were here last week for Heather's message, right at the end, she mentioned a Greek word for truth, aletheia, and it means reality. I'm going to talk more about that. But it was at the end of her message, which is precisely where I needed it to be to set up for this message. So I, I say all that because God is working, and that's why I want to ask you, do you see, do you recognize where God's working in your life? All right, let's pray. Father, we come to you, and, and I want this message for you and for us. I want it to be about you for us. I um, am eager to present these words in a way that, that touch people's hearts, whether they're here or listen to it on the podcast later, that you will change them to align their hearts and to grow us, that we are, uh, this word clarity comes to mind, that we, we know truth. And Lord, I just ask your presence right now and speak through me, and I ask this in Jesus' name, amen. So, quick review. We're in a series called To Tell You the Truth, and it's about the promises of God. And Chris started this message two weeks ago, and he gave this, uh, he focused on being a child of God or the disciple, a disciple that Jesus loves. And he really did a great job explaining all that. But, and if you grasp it, 
if you grasp that truth, it will change your life. And I have to be honest, there's a very similar principle weaving throughout my message. If you grasp who God is and your relationship to him, it will change your life. Then last week, Heather gave her message on lies versus truth and living in the, in the confidence of God's rich and glorious grace, his inheritance for us, what, what he's given us. And, and it's not later when we die, it's now. You've got to grasp that. And, and these are my paraphrases, so I'm going to say go back to these podcasts and re-listen to these messages. They're very good, and they're all different. Okay, but as I said previously, we, at the end of the message, she discussed, Heather discussed that Greek word aletheia, and it's translated truth, but this truth is reality. So if you want to be real, if you want to get to the heart, if you want to have clarity in life, thank you, Blake, for that word, um, You've got to know the truth. You've got to listen to God. And so this um, Greek word aletheia means reality, which means if you logically think through that, God is reality. And anything outside of God is not reality. So the first scripture I want to talk about, and we've all talked about it, but it's John 1, and it's 1 through 5. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And the word was God. That's such a big concept. I don't even have time to talk about that part. He was in the beginning, and all things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. At the end of this message, I'm going to talk about things that can be shaken and unshaken. Remember this passage. uh, Verse 4, in him was life, and in life and the life that was the light of men. I'm sorry about that. Verse 5, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. That's the verse I want to talk about right now. Darkness cannot overcome it. There is no darkness at all in God's presence. He is the light. And in the Bible, God's light is clearly focused on the intellectual and the moral holiness, so our mind and our, our heart. And what I mean is from God's point of view, his unique holy nature both drives and limits the revelation of himself to us. I want you to get God can't be in our presence because of our sinful nature. His holiness logically cannot be among darkness. So the closer we can get to light being truth, the closer we'll be to him. Now, when, when he reveals, what he reveals must be truth. It must be reality. But in our sinful state, these are their limits to what he can reveal to us. And this is why I want to talk. I, I thought about putting in this clip of Jack Nicholson and a few good men. And you ready for it? You can't handle the truth. So anyway, he would have done it much better, but I thought he might detract from my message. So um, So the truth is that God's holy and his ways are not our ways. And this is where we step into knowing and and trusting or expressing our faith. We step into what we don't know because we trust him. So a a few additional scriptures that speak of God as truth. In Psalm 119, verse 130, and Psalm 36, 9, God is the source of all truth. And then Titus 1, 2 the holiness of God requires truth, and because of his holiness, God cannot lie. 
So you start to build these foundational blocks of who God is. It starts to set us up to be prepared to hear his promises. So the opposite of truth, even if it might come, contain part truths or some half truths, is anything that opposes God's truth as it's revealed to us in his creation. Let me explain that a little bit deeper. In the universe, in created things, we, we've got what we know, and then we've got what we don't know, but we start to think. And if we start to think theories that are against God, that's a, a half-truth or an untruth. It's, it becomes a lie. And, and in his word, what he's revealed to us in the scriptures, if we start to manipulate or twist or we don't tell what he said correctly, that's a half-truth or a lie. That becomes darkness. In the new creation, in our salvation, as we look forward to it, if we start to water it down or we start to say there's other ways to be saved, those are lies and they're not the truth. We've, we've got to stick to the truth. The incarnate creator God must reveal truth and he cannot be untruth. It can't happen by definition of the words. When God speaks, he must speak truth. When God acts, he must do truth. God's holiness demands that the creation not distort anything about God or about his creation. So we, even when we study creation, it can't detract from him. We may interpret it incorrectly because we've got these voices, but creation doesn't detract from him. All right, I want to start to pull all this together, that God is truth and is reality, and therefore his promises will be fulfilled. So what does it all mean if we know God, if we start to learn more about him, we hear his promises, what's that do for our faith? What's it do to impact our daily life? If we go to 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20, it says, For all the promises of God find their yes in him, and that is why we, through him, we utter our amen for his glory. There's a lot in there. There's the promises of God are yes. By definition of who God is, when he speaks, it, it's true. So then there's our response, and I'm going to talk a lot about this. We utter our amen. I'm going to talk about why that's important, what that means, but it's all for his glory. We offer it to God for his glory. So when we say amen from now on, you're not saying it to me, you're not saying it to anybody else, you're saying it to God. Okay. In Isaiah, I'm sorry, there's another slide. God is truth. When he makes a promise, our response is amen. So in Isaiah 65, uh, it's kind of the heading is judgment and salvation. But verse 16, it says, whoever invokes a blessing in the land will do so by the one true God. And I, wanna, I want you to catch up on that, that phrase, the one true God. Whoever takes an oath in the land will swear by the one true God. Um, there's an exposition by Alexander McLaren that was very helpful for me, and I'm going to take some ideas out of there. The original meaning of the, of the phrase, the God of truth, means the God of the amen. And when I read that, I'm like, that is cool. And by the way, that was from Michaela. She found that for me. Um, if you think about that, the God of the amen, amen is an adjective, which means literally firm, true and reliable. So when we say amen, we mean that's firm or it's true or it's reliable. If I say it about a saying, 
I'm saying this is firm and true and reliable. So when we say it or we shout it, we're affirming that we believe it. If I, as the, a teacher or a preacher up here, say amen, then I'm telling you this is so. And when you say it as the church or an individual, you're saying so may it be, or, or we believe it, or so let it be. I'm sure some of you guys have heard that, but I want everybody to know that. When, don't be afraid to say amen. In fact, let's practice. Let's practice saying amen. So everybody on three. One, two, three. All right, one more time. That was pretty good. One, one more time. One, two, three. Amen. How about Jesus is Lord? Amen. Yes, 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 yes. Okay, so to say it simply, his truth, our faith. And then we utter amen. Okay, I want to read this portion of this exposition from Alexander uh, McLaren. He says, my word is... My word of promise, this is God, is that upon, that upon which a man may rest all his weight and be safe forever. So can you, can you get in that spot where you hear what God says, hear a promise from him, and rest all your weight on it? You're not concerned about it? It's not like man's promises where it might be a perhaps. There's a doubt he's going to fail. Not with God. God's the only one that can expect you to believe it and walk away because that's exactly what's going to happen. All right. So God cannot lie, but other voices can lie. If you walk through that, I didn't realize I was going to say the word logically so much, but in this message, it makes sense because words have meanings. And when words come from God, they have absolute meaning. So when you logically think about his promises, doesn't that make sense to just let him do it? Just walk into it. So let's look, look at a promise or two that God has made and see if we believe it. I, I want to test you in this, see if you're ready to put your full weight on it. Because there is a lot of uh, voices and there's a lot of people pushing you off of this belief. Anybody know what happened in Genesis 6? The world was corrupt and God said, I'm tired of it. I'm going to send a flood and I'm going to wipe them all out. But he talked to Noah and said, I'm not going to destroy you if you obey me. So he built an ark. Genesis 7, the flood comes. Genesis 8, the flood uh, goes away. Dry land comes about, and God starts to speak to Noah and says, I have a promise for you. There's just this minor little promise at the end there. It's a statement. It's, it, God says at the end of uh, chapter 8, he says, while the earth remains... Seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. Do you guys feel like you can rest your whole weight on that? That's going to keep happening, right? Pretty confident in that God said it. But your experience, so are you, are you believing it because God said it? Or are you believing it because you have experienced it? Okay, let's go to the next one because it isn't so easy. Uh, in Genesis 9... Uh, at the end, around 7, chapter, or verse 7, God starts to speak, and you be full, fruitful and multiply, increase greatly on the earth and multiply in it. Then God starts to speak, and verse 11, he says, I establish my covenant with you that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood. 
and never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, I'm going to keep on going here. Um, And God said, this is the sign of the covenant that I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all future generations, which includes you and me. I have set my bow in the cloud, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. When I bring clouds over the earth and the bow is seen in the clouds, I will remember my covenant. He said, I will remember my covenant. That is between me and you and every living creature of all the flesh. And the waters shall never again become never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. When the bow is in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature, all of flesh that is in the earth. And God said it again to Noah, this is a sign of the covenant that I have established between me and all flesh on the earth. I, I, there are three major points I want to bring out of there, and this is where I'm going to test you. The first one is God created the, the physics, the elements to make the rainbow visible to us. In fact, he made us to be able to see those elements, that light being refracted through. Do you believe that with all your heart that God created everything by his word? We just read it in John in the gospel. Uh, Do you believe that? The second point, God gives meaning to the rainbow. Some of you guys are going to have to rethink this. It's a reminder to him. So he speaks up, tells Noah, um, and I'll get to these pictures in just a second here. Um, these, uh, do you believe, I'm sorry, God gives the meaning to the rainbow in that it's a reminder of a, of, to him of the promise that he made with us to never destroy all of life by a flood. So one, do you understand, are familiar with, and believe that Noah built an ark, that there was a global flood. Because in this day and age, there's a lot of voices saying, no, that didn't happen. We'll talk about believing a global flood on Mars, but we won't talk about having a global flood on Earth. But God told us he did it. And are you, do you believe with all your heart, you're ready to rest your weight on that and think through life going that way? And the third point is, since he revealed this information to us, then it's truth. It is the reality, whether you choose to believe it or not. So I would ask you again, do you believe it? Yes. I knew she'd say yes. All right, so the next thing, I do have some pictures here. That first one, if you want to back up, and I'm sorry, I thought we could see these rainbows a little better. I was just out driving. I was working in southern Tazewell County about three years ago, and there is a really beautiful rainbow in there that the light is throwing off on my picture. Oh, you can see it there. Okay. Yeah. And I just had to stop and take a picture of it because rainbows are remarkable. But if you go to the next picture, rainbows with the meaning that God gives them become remarkable, uh, uh, overwhelming remarkable. And when I, when I say that, this is the night that we helped with Divergent City Church in South End of Peoria, uh, not last night, but the week before. And there was a great big storm that came through. And we had gone to eat. And after, during eating, Sherry and I were talking about, we were sharing some of the storms that we're going through. And when the storm was passed, we walk out about the time the rain stops. And we see this. And it's like God saying, hey, I've got this. Just relax. 
I'm working on it. I'm going ahead of you. But so that's right now. He just did it right then. And we thought it was inconvenient to be rained on, but <laughs> hey, but that's only half of it because if you go to the next slide, it was a full rainbow. I mean, it was all over. And I'm I'm living and being overwhelmed with this and I'm kind of bouncing off a, a comments back and forth with Chris, and he shows me this picture Sunday morning of uh, from the opposite side. We're in Peoria by Panera on Sterling. This is in Groveland, so it's the other direction, and here, this just blew my mind because I'm thinking through the physics of thinking we're in the right spot to see the rainbow. Well, they got to see it too, and probably for some other reason. So that was just a fun part of this, because I believe what God says in his Bible, and I believe his promises, and they're going to impact you if you choose to step into that. It is overwhelming. <laughs> All right. But that's, oh, uh, wow, I just got through a bunch of notes. All right, let's keep going. So do you know in your heart and in your mind that God is for you? We're getting ready to take a big leap here. So we got God, we've got his promises, and now I want you to know that he's for you. I don't want to lose track of who God is, his holiness and his reality, but I want to show you that understanding that of knowing you're wanted, that you are a child of God, it changes the way you live, and I want you to, to know it, to say that, to feel it in your heart and your mind. All right, in Psalm 56, David writes this, and it's titled, In God I Trust. And in verse 9, he says, Then my enemies will turn back in the day when I call. This I know, God is for me. If you were to write a psalm, would you write that? Would you say, God is for me? Can you, know, can you say that today in your struggles? God was for us before we were created. He wanted us. He wants to be in this relationship with us. God was for us when Christ died for us. There is nothing more relatable than that. He is holy, can't be in our presence, but he came to relate with us by, through Jesus Christ and to show us this example, to reveal all of this love for us. He is for us. God is for us when try, Satan tries to condemn us. That was a lot of Heather's message last week was that chatterbox, all that noise trying to detract us from God's word and his voice and his promises. God's for us then. And God is for us when we rebel against him, when we screw up. He's still for us. So we have reason to call on him, to rely on him, when, and we can know that God is for us. Uh, Charles Spurgeon has a, a commentary on this verse, and I just want to read a couple lines out of it. It says, God is for us with all the infinity of his being, with all the omnipotence of his love, with all the infallibility of his wisdom. Arrayed in all his divine attributes, he is for us eternally and immutably for us. I need you to rest in that. Just feel that. This is God. He wants you. He's for you. So, if we believe, if we know it, that God is truth and he can't lie, then it makes promises to us more, more absolute and this confidence changes our life. If we believe that God in very deed has spoken laws that illuminate, we're going to listen to them. And commands that guide us. They're not commands to say no to you. They're a curb. They're a guide for you. And promises that calm and strengthen and fulfill themselves. 
we'll surely prepare our hearts and our minds to receive those precious words. So we're, do you see where we're going? We're starting to get ready to receive it. To how do we just do it? Well, you don't just start doing it this day, but it's a daily process of changing your heart and receiving it. When we know God's for us, we prepare our hearts. So how do we do that? Well, another Psalm of David's, and it's a prayer, Psalm 86, verse 11, it says, Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth and unite my heart to fear your name. And it seems obvious, and I think there is a part of it that is a straightforward meaning, but I think there was a, some, through some of the commentaries I read, there's a deeper meaning in that when we're taught something, and if we are inclined, if we want to do this well, we're going to practice it. But it's not just um, our heart versus the world. It's our heart versus our mind. And you've heard that before, but we've got to make the transition, that 18-inch transition, getting our heart and our mind, heart and our mind aligned with God. We need to put it into practice every day. And that's what this prayer is. So we're going to ask the Holy Spirit to work us through that. We must not be forced into this. So we, you don't come to church, or you're not a child being raised by your parent being forced into this relationship with Jesus. It's a voluntary stepping into it. When you understand God and the good that he has for you, you step into it. All right. Um, I think uh, Alexander McLaren in his exposition on this, he says, having taught me one way, give me one heart to walk therein. So that, that clarity between the heart and the mind. And to fear God is both the beginning, the growth, and the maturity. So that fearing God is a daily process. It's the fear where we, we go with him, the fear that we're going to continue to grow with him, and then the maturity, that wisdom in that. So what if we slip up, though? What if we start to doubt? We start to, we get down. We've got health problems, and we just don't feel like it, or our schedule is just too packed, or, or whatever it is. Um, what do we do with that? The first generation of Hebrews to come out of Egypt, I can't read all that because it takes too long. They were seeing miracles all the time. I mean, daily, it seems like. The, the plagues, the way that Moses was able to do these things that were miraculous. And then when they do get ready to leave, they walk across the Red Sea on dry land. So that doesn't even make sense. Uh, you just got to believe that. So they, they see this, and they're going to the promised land. They are still talking. They're uncomfortable, but they're talking, and, and they're doubting, and they're fearing where they're headed. So on this journey that should have taken them anywhere from two weeks to a month, took 40 years. God w was working with them, but at the same time, with all their doubt and fear, he said, fine, you're not going in. But then with Joshua getting ready to take over, this next generation is starting to do the same thing. And in Numbers and in Deuteronomy, you have to go back and read it. But he had to, like, put them through this 70-day refresher course on aligning their hearts with God. And he, when he did this, and when I was writing this out, I'm like, he's aligning their hearts to trust God to go into the promised land. And I'm like, wait a minute. It's the promised land. What God says 
is going to happen. So if he says go into it, just do it. It can't be more simple than that. So quit listening to all. And I wrote that in big letters. I'm like, it's the promised land. What are you going to do? Deuteronomy, the whole book is about God preparing them as a people with a faith to be people with a mission. So you're not going to stay just in your faith today. You're going to go do something. You're going on God's mission. So how do we do this? How often do we do this? We experience the presence of God, this truth, this reality, but we fail, we fall back into doubt and fear. And all I've got to say is stop it. Now, I say it, stop it, like I love you, and we're here to encourage you, but we're not giving up on you, so quit it. Quit doubting. If you don't know in your heart and your mind, you're going to waste time. And Warren Wiersbe says the best things in so many, so few words, unbelief wastes time, okay? <laughs> if you don't know God in your heart, in your mind, and you don't follow them, you're going to waste time, and you're not going to be fruitful. This life's not going anywhere. That's that first generation. They waited outside the promised land and did not get to go in. All right. Um, Hebrews 11. We're going to jump forward really quickly here. It's often called the Hall of Fame of Faith. The verse, couple verses I want to read to you. Now, faith is the assurance And when I say, do you put your weight on it? That's what I mean. It's the assurance. Can you put your full weight on it? Of things not seen. For by by it, the people of old received their commendation. And I was thinking while we were worshiped this morning, I don't want you to get caught up in what they did, the activity that they did. I want you to understand they were commended by showing faith and hearing and listening to God. That's why they were commended, because they were all sinners. They all failed, but they were commended for exercising faith. So by faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. So God did all that. So science, we are so blessed. We get to understand and, and experience and discover it's actually God letting, revealing more to us when we discover stuff. But we go through that practice. If we, we know those facts, but if we turn the theories around that go against God, whatever it is, if it says something, it's a half-truth. So it started true, and it's a half-truth. So if it goes away from God, we need to go back to say, but God says, and then we act in bold faith. I love science, I love math, but don't let it tell a different story than what God's revealed to us. So if we go down through uh, Hebrews 11, we see the name Enoch and Noah and Abraham and Sarah and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and Moses and Moses' parents and the people that crossed over on dry land and the walls of Jericho fell because people obeyed and they acted out of faith. And I think your name is in there because it said others. And uh, No, I'm just kidding. But what do we do with that? Hebrews 11, what, it's all this, people did that. Well, great. Well, what do we do? Well, then you have to read Hebrews 12. Because it says, therefore, the first word. So we know the faith. We know how they do it. Now you go do it. Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely. 
And let us run with endurance the race that's set before us, looking to Jesus. He's the founder and the perfecter of our faith, who for joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. He's ready for us. We need to step into it now. It's our inheritance right now. Now, the rest of 12, we go through, it's a kingdom that cannot be shaken. He talks about that. And then the very, uh, verse 28, he says, therefore, let us be grateful. That whole attitude of gratefulness, of humility, for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. So God created this shakable kingdom in order to get us into an unshakable place with him. And so we need to stay with that. And thus let us offer to God acceptable worship and reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. So just because God promised not to flood the world and destroy all life by a flood doesn't mean he's not going to purify it some other way. This is your warning. It's going to be fun if you go, but this is a warning. So how do we do this? Well, I've started to give you a clue on this. We grow and we step into obedience daily, and we ask the Holy Spirit for the power to do this. In 1 Peter, he tells us how to do this. There's a section in verse 13 called to call to be holy. So prepare your minds for action. Be sober-minded and set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So we get that hope now. And a further revelation when Jesus comes back to us. So we're here to be fruitful in our faith. I need you to have that vision, that idea that we're going to be fruitful. We have to break down, break free from our past identity. You know, the Hebrew nation failed a lot, and they could have just wallowed in that. And that next generation almost did. And I can go through all these stories of people that have stayed where they were. But you need to release that identity because God said, you're a new creation. Chris said it, you're a child of God. Heather said it, you have a new inheritance. We've got to break free from that past identity. And then, so picture you're going to go walk around the walls of Jericho. There's this fear, oh no, how's that going to work? We're going to go around and not say a word and we're going to blow the horns. Don't worry about the details. Don't fear the future. Every week that I preach, and I know every one of you that preaches, things happen, and you can either get wrapped up in it or, or not. Give it to God. And I go both ways. I get down about it. But we've got to overcome this fear of the future. We have to know this call of God, and we have to love this call of God. This thought, this next one I'm going to tell you, I, I don't know if I'm saying it the right way, so I'm just going to say it. I want you to listen intently. When we read the Bible, I, we need to look for God. And I say that because so often I do this, and I think we all do this. We look for a relatable experience or something to build us up. And, and that's a benefit, and God did that for us, but we need to be looking for God when we read it. So we're designed to be in constant pursuit of him, to bring him glory and so when we read, we study, we spend time in prayer, we're asking God what he wants. We're asking for what we want through him, but that it fits into his will. So if you pray in his will, 
I want you to know that that's, that that's how it needs to be. Your intentions need to be. So your suffering may not go away for a while or ever, but if it brings glory to God, that is the point. All right. And in some, let's see, just a hit on this approach to learning. Luke 8, I think we've talked about this, the parable of the sower. Verse 8 says, And some of the seed, the word, fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. So there was fruit. And he said these, and as he said these things, he called out, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. So pray those words, Lord, let me hear your word. Let me digest your word. And then if you go on into the parable, he explains it. He says in verse 15, as for that good soil, that person, that heart, they are those that hear the word and hold it fast and honest with an honest and good heart. And then they bear fruit and patience. So it's not easy, but the way will, will reveal itself. God will reveal the way as we hold it close to our heart and walk into that faith. So we know that God is truth. We affirm that he is truth by our amen. We cultivate it over time, and then we bear the fruit. But it's not just for our sake. We need a vision We've talked about a vision for the city of Peoria and the surrounding area. We must share God's heart for others as we pass it on, pass on this desiring of God, this living for him. In the third letter that John wrote, not the gospel, verse 4, it says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in truth. So we know God is truth. He's the reality. And when we walk in it, Paul's saying right here, the churches, the people, the friends that he's influenced, he has no greater joy. And I take that children to be my children, so that applies for me, but it applies to every one of you in your circle of life. I want you to catch that vision that you'll have no greater joy than when you walk in the truth and then you share it with them and they're walking in the truth. The joy that it'll bring God, but it'll bring joy to you too. And Paul goes on, he's so good about uh, giving us how to do this. We're going to have struggles. But when we do, when we hear these voices, it says in, in uh, 2 Corinthians 10, for though we walk in the flesh, we're not waging war with the flesh against it. These weapons of our warf warfare are not of the flesh, but we have divine power to destroy strongholds. So whether it's the doubt of the past, the fear of the future, the voices, the chatterbox, Whatever it is, we have the power through the Holy Spirit to destroy those strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God, and we take every thought captive to obey Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience and when, you're, when, you're disobedience, when your obedience is complete. All right, so all these concerns, all these thoughts, the Bible doesn't speak to every one of them. We've got issues like, hey, how do we go and start revival? Well, there is examples and principles. How do we deal with evolution or LGBT issues or medical ethics or the environment or politics? I'm not going to tell you. It's in the word. There are principles in the word. Abraham Kuyper had a quote that he's famous for, and he says, no single piece of the world is so is to be sealed off from the rest. And there is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine. It's all his. And we need to live like that. 
And we need to read the word like that because there are principles in there that we will be able to apply in every one of those issues that I just raised. So it's for today. Now, just to give you a little urge, Joshua, when he's getting ready to get the people going and he's hearing from the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all your people, into the land that I'm giving you, giving to them. Just do it. Go. Verse 9, then he goes on to say, Have I not commanded you? Be strong, be courageous, do not be frightened, and do not be dismayed. It's clear. Go. The Lord your God is with you wherever you go. So God, let us go from being people with just a faith, with a faith, to being people with a mission. In this last slide, I left a word out, and it may have been a benefit. God is truth. He is reality. His promises are yes and amen. And knowing and pursuing God will, is the word I left out, change our hearts and minds. But it does change it. I wanted to say it that way. So pray with me as I close. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us right now. To him be the glory in the church and Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Uh, And the people said, Amen. amen.